0: So hello, Malaysia and hello, world. So welcome to Impact Valley. So I'm your host, Amber, and we got a host show for you. So today's topic is uh, refugee doctor, doctor on the ground. So welcome our guests of today, uh, Doctor Sazana and Arisa. So it's, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure to meet both of you. Yeah, so maybe Arisa, you can share a little bit about your background and yeah, where you come from, where do you come from? Okay, uh, um, <laughs> so my name is Arisa. I yeah. am uh, currently
1: a full-time mm-hmm. student um, in international relations and international law. Um, right now, I've, I'm just managing um, the two NGOs I co-founded, WFR and DNG. Um, and so my time is separated between um, studying um, mm. NGOs and my other uh, personal projects, um, I'm very passionate about uh, social justice, mm. uh, refugee rights, um, and a little bit of um, youth empowerment as
0: well. Mm, That's interesting. So how about you, Dr. Susanna?
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Susanna. So basically, I'm the co-founder of uh, Dr. Sun Ground. So, I'm a full-time doctor working with uh, KKM. So, this is, uh, I think, part of my social service, giving back to the community. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I have uh, six years of experience uh, as a doctor. So, currently, I'm doing my master's in family medicine. So, part of family medicine is also uh, community medicine. Mm. So, yeah, that's about Mm.
0: it. That's cool. So I'm curious, why did you first started this uh, doctor on ground, you know, and how has it grown or changed over time?
1: Yeah, I think um, personally, working with refugees, I noticed that medical access was always mm-hmm. going to be a problem. You know, it was, it was incredibly difficult for refugees to secure financial and logistic mm. aid. When it comes to you know getting access to you know medical services, and because it's um, become such an inconvenience for them, um, you know their healthcare is no longer prioritized. So a lot of the times mm. um, when refugees co- go to hospitals, they'll be going at the most chronic stages of their illness. Mm. And usually when that happens, you know, it overwhelms um, uh, a, domino, um, a domino effect. It has like a domino effect of who it overwhelms. So it overwhelms mm. the doctors that they're treating. It overwhelms NGOs that um, are trying, are scrambling to secure their financial funds. Um, you know, so, so I think um, that was because we identified Um, because I identified that in my own personal capacity um, it only made sense um, Mm. to set up a platform that uh, would provide medical services in their own homes
0: Mm. you know so that they're
1: given the space and the education to prioritize um, medical services.
0: So is this all the services that you provide is free for them?
1: Um yes, exactly. So mm. we provide. I think uh, Dr. Shazana can speak more on what exactly we provide, but mm.
0: everything now is free. yeah.,
2: mm.
0: oh, this is great. So like what kind of services that you provide?
2: Okay, so for now, since um, we are mm-hmm. focusing in the community of Slayang, uh, what we do provide is we are working with uh, other organization uh, such as Freha and also Careham. Mm-hmm. So these two organization they uh, they work hand in hand providing mm-hmm. uh, maternal and also women's sexual health. especially uh, mm. uh, for their regular back smear and also breast examination. Mm. So all of these are provided for, for free for now. So what, what we do is we go directly to the community, we mm. educate them, we make sure they know that they can get such services from uh, organization like DNG, uh, mm-hmm. Freka, So we we, we we deliver the information, we collect the patient, we identify mm-hmm. the patients, and we will schedule them for appointments to our nearby free health mobile clinic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is what we do for now, uh, since we are only focusing on one community in Selyam. So... We are also, yeah, we try to focus more on the important aspect, which is controlling the population
0: and mm-hmm. uh, providing them uh, good, good family planning. Yeah. Mm, good family planning. So, what are your goals for the next you know, three to five years? What is your organization's visions?
1: Um, I think just on what Dr Shazana mentioned as well, Mm -hmm. you know, we would like to um, contribute to creating a a community, a refugee community that is uh, much more aware on um, how to plan their families um, on birth control. mainly on medical education and with that education providing access to it you know right now um, there's uh, there's a whole mess with um, medical access for refugees mm. um, and it's because there hasn't been um, proper on-ground work to address it you know? so um, I think one of the one of the biggest goals for um, for uh, DNG is to control the population. Is, is to provide the resources and education that could, um, essentially, uh, you know, control it. If that makes sense, like population mm. control. It. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty unethical. So, to, uh, I on that, to.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I think I think uh, it's not about controlling the population. It's more on having a good family planning. Hmm. So what is a good family planning? So, you need to identify the family, uh, how many household members that they have, Mm. whether they are financially capable to raise uh, a number of kids. For example, if if in their capacity, they are able to raise uh, five to six kids, then it's okay. But if in their capacity, they're only being uh, able to raise uh, two or three kids, so you have to address the problem uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. And uh, a good family Planning is when you counsel the patients, you make them know that, okay, this is this is the number of kids that you should have in your family in mm-hmm. order to give them education, um, good living, you know, good living environment. So once they know that, they practice. And uh, yeah, as we all know, Malaysian, uh, roughly the number shows that uh, per family, you are advisable to have two to three kids. Mm-hmm. That's yep. the number. So that is what we are trying to also implement to the uh, refugee, refugee community. Mm. To tell them uh, good spacing. Good yep. Good spacing means uh, one kid per two years. That means uh, if you want to get pregnant, the first mm. child and the second child gap should be two years. Then the following one comes along. And if you are if you are a forty years old woman, you should not be you should not be uh, pregnant at that age. So all this is part of family planning. So I give you for example, if mm-hmm. there's a woman age uh, thirty eight, and uh, she have three kids, so it's all scenario basis based on case basis when yeah. your client comes to you. So if let's say the woman is already at thirty eight years old with three kids, you would want her to stop getting pregnant. You don't want her to be uh to be having more kids because that will uh cause uh you know more complications because of her age factor. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that is how you you see every family uh differently, and uh, it's uh, your judgment and your planning is being done based on uh, each family that you see. If you see a twenty-three years old woman who have five kids. So oh, you, you should know mm-hmm. that you should uh, stop having kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you should know that you should stop having kids. So you tell her to stop. So long-term family planning, what are the options that they have? What kind of contraception that they can practice? Uh, all that. So all that is uh, basically like what uh, Ms. Arisa was saying, uh, mm-hmm. population control, but in, in, a, in a in a better term, I mean, in a family uh, planning. more uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: medical, uh, medical term, we, would, like, we, we call it as Family, family, family. Mm-hmm. Each family we see differently. We, we plan differently
0: for them. Yeah. So do you face? Do you encounter like teenage pregnancy among the uh refugee group? Do you see this? Uh, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, if, I, if if I'm practicing. In the hospital, Mm -hmm. when I was practicing as an obstetric and gynecology medical officer in uh, Klang Hospital, we do see a lot of uh, underage, uh, for example, less than 18 years old getting pregnant, Mm -hmm. uh, early 20s getting pregnant, I mean, very young age. So all this is also education. For them, it's quite normal. From where they come from, it's quite normal for them to be pregnant at that age but uh yeah you should you should advise them if uh, are they able to take care of their of the child whether they have uh, good financial support to be Mm -hmm. in care of a kid when they are also you know they're also still quite young age so Mm -hmm. yeah all that yeah we do see a lot but uh, nowadays we see very less of them because uh, financial issue is the main concern Mm -hmm. and also yeah they are more aware but we
0: still do see some of them. Mm. So what what barriers are in your way, you know, when you are dealing with a refugee woman? Yeah, how is the process, you know, what is the barrier you face?
1: I think with every um, program mm-hmm. we uh, set up, whether that be medical or educational, um, one issue that we're always going to um, come across is communication. Communication will always be a barrier. And that's why even with DNG, we've identified the importance of having a refugee community leader, you know, so that they can uh, communicate what we need them to communicate um, in a language that is most common and comfortable to them. Right. Especially if it's coming from someone that they trust and, um, you know, yeah, exactly. So with that's that's what happens when we, when we work with community leaders. Um, so if we did not have a community leader, or if um, a lot of the times you don't have interpreters, communication can be a massive barrier, especially if we're trying to um, communicate medical um, yeah. medical terms or medical issues. Uh, which is why when we uh, when we attend um, uh, webinars held by Asylum Access or or all the other yeah veteran NGOs there is a uh, there is a um, pattern of using very simple language so that it's easier for the interpreter to um, interpret towards the com- uh, refugee community you know to an, to an extent they don't need to know um, every single medical term as long as they understand um, the relation of whatever that medical issue is to their community and to their financial status so that, that that I feel like um, is a huge barrier another barrier that um, has been mentioned several times in this interview is financial and logistical aid so um, because they are unaware of um, the repercussions of getting pregnant uh, maybe a second, third, fourth time or the financial uh, the financial responsibility to to become pregnant and take care of a child mm. uh, because they're unaware of that um, you know then they're, they're, they're going to continue to conceive and that brings in another issue which is a cultural barrier Um, with the community that we work with there is a cultural norm where if you get pregnant that is a blessing to you and so if you uh, come in with contraceptives or family planning campaigns you're basically disturbing uh god's work or you're you know you're you're um, not grateful for that blessing Uh, so there is all these um cultural norms that that is practiced and believed in the community that we work with. So with um, our efforts to educate our community, is we're slowly trying to debunk a lot of the mm. um opinions that go about uh, family planning,
0: especially within the refugee community. Mm. I think because they don't have the knowledge on family planning and also their culture, I think it's one, this is the factor you know that caused them to to give birth more child and they don't know how to plan their family in in their family planning i think so i'm curious Mm. so like can, can you tell me more about the world your organization does and the program you run you know just now mentioned is a family planning program and what is the other program that you run? Um, yeah, so uh, I think
1: that Shazana can mention more on this um, because specifically we specify in medical. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaz?
2: Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, the program that we are currently focusing on is uh, family planning. We also do our referrals to hospitals and we facilitate the uh, smooth process of them reaching out to the hospital, mm-hmm. communicating with uh, the specialists in the hospital, and also financially, if, if we are able to help, if we have funds, we will also help them financially. Uh, for example, if a patient with uh, cancer, cervical mm. cancer, or any, any, any illnesses that needs urgent referral, urgent intention, uh, attention, Sorry, so um, we will provide that service to the client. Mm. So we will help them uh, with their referrals. Uh, I also do uh, call up the specialist to follow up on the case. And uh, I'll make sure that I understand. So when she comes and see me, uh, I have explanation for her. Because as you know, if you go to the hospital, you, you know, the problem is uh, they won't be able to spend a long duration of time with a doctor understanding. You know, they when they come back home, they will have questions. But to in order for them to get the questions answered, they have to wait for another month. So this is where I can help. I provide consultation mm-hmm. to them. And also, yeah. apart from referral, uh, family planning, uh, financially, we uh, raise funds for patients also. And um, we will also help patients with antenatal checkups. Antenatal checkup means mm-hmm. uh, those women who are pregnant. Mm-hmm. They need to go for their scans. They need to go for their blood tests. Uh, we all know for them to be going to the clinic Kesihatan, which is the district health uh, clinic from the government, it's a bit um, financially, it's a bit, it's a bit expensive. So expensive. they have to pay forty ringgit. I think yeah, I think they have to pay around forty to hundred fifty ringgit. That's the range of price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so recently we have uh, located a clinic in Selayang uh, which is called Imaret Clinic under the QFFD fund uh, they provide antenatal checkups where patients only pay 10 ringgit so we do divert them to Imaret Selayang for them to get their checkups done so that they don't get burdened financially mm-hmm. you know some women bring kids uh, to us saying that hey my kid." Uh, delivered three years ago, he's now three years old, he's not vaccinated at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we uh, educate them that, you know, even now that he's three years old, he should get vaccinated. So we call it as a uh, catch-up immunization, in, mm-hmm. uh, uh, meaning that we, we catch up, we catch up their immunization. So he will get the same dose like how a newborn baby would get, but at the age of three years old. So at, uh, So at least they know. From them knowing, oh, my child is already three years old. She don't have to get vaccinated because that vaccine is only for a kid, for a newborn to one year old, you see. Mm. So all this is kind of important. That means you deliver the information that they don't know at all. So in order for them to get treatment. So yeah, so that is the service that we provide for Mm. now.
0: So... What is your selling point, a unique selling point of these organizations, you know, compared to other organizations?
1: I think um, one thing that DNG can uh, proudly say (laughs) is that we are one of the uh, few NGOs that provide... Hello? Yeah, I can't hear you just
0: now. Yeah.
1: Sorry, yeah. So um, we are one of the few NGOs that provide um, medical access to actual refugees homes. Um, we want to embody the community doctor, um, and that would require us to um, set up our stations in the homes of these refugees uh, so that that automatically cancels um, out logistic issues that they may face when they are trying to get uh, medical access. So I feel like uh, just on that crux alone, it um, allows us to, it sets us apart from other clinics and existing NGOs, medical NGOs that have already been in the game for a while, they are starting to realize um, the importance of being on ground and working with a specific community yeah. and gaining their trust. And um, I think it's why um, uh, organizations like the UN, um, like Imaret, like uh, you know, HEI, all of these other NGOs are reaching out to DNG. Um, and that's what we kind of need them to invest in the idea that a community doctor is the best way for refugees to uh, monitor and access um, and prioritize their healthcare.
0: Mm. I think this is cool. Mm. So what are your major costs and how constant are these costs?
2: Okay for cost uh, as we are mm-hmm. running on voluntary basis yeah mm-hmm. that means uh, i have i think i have like 12 doctors with me now and uh, roughly 6 to 8 medical students mm-hmm. so services are all provided for free basically mm-hmm. uh, we go there the doctors will volunteer the students will come to volunteer mm-hmm. Transportations are on our own we pay from our Get money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do get funds uh, from Freha and Firham, and now we, I am uh, trying to work with Emirates uh, mm-hmm. to see if, let's say, we can send our patients there. Uh, so yeah, so we work with the organisations for now for the services that they provide: the testing, the medication, and all that. Uh, we don't um, we don't provide services that we have to pay and buy and then bring to the community for now. Whatever equipments that we have, uh, it's all from funding donated by uh, friends. Mm-hmm. And we do hope over time we do get uh, funding for our projects and we get to buy our own um, test kits for HIV, mm-hmm. for pregnancy mm-hmm. tests or uh, various testing for dengue, for example, mm-hmm. so uh, we also do hope uh, to be connected more to the clinics so that we can send them to get medications because uh, medication for us as community doctor, it will be a bit difficult to yeah. keep and to be carrying along all the medications wherever you go. Because uh, as you know, in the UK, in the US, the, the family, family physicians over there, they prescribe and you buy the medication from a pharmacy. It's different from the setting that we have here. The setting that we have here, the doctor prescribe and the doctor have its own uh, prescription uh, counter to actually give the medications to the client. But it's not the same in the UK or anywhere else, Uh, even in Indonesia, for example, our neighbour country. So what we will try to practice is we will write prescriptions for them, Mm -hmm. and we will ask them whether they can afford buying it, you know, if they can buy it elsewhere, then uh, yeah. So that would be better. Lah. So, so how
0: much it so costs? Roughly. Yeah. How much it costs, you know, like the medicine you mentioned. Mm-hmm.
2: Cost uh medicine medicine costs can be ranging from even ten ringgit to a few mm-hmm. thousand, a few hundred mm-hmm. thousand, depending on what kind of medication. That's why it's not sustainable to keep medication with us. So some antibiotics will cost you 150 ringgit roughly for a course of antibiotics for seven days. Uh, some other medication like uh, more chronic illness like diabetic hypertension, that is much more expensive. It can go up to four to 500 ringgit per month. So yeah, so all that, uh, we provide free service checkup, So patients don't have to pay for consultation fee, which actually mm. will cost uh, 50 ringgit to 100 ringgit. Uh, medication only they pay so, which is actually quite uh beneficial for them. Mm. Mm.
0: Yep. I think I will send it the link again because, yeah, can I send uh, the link again like the new link because this one is going to end, yes. No <laughs> so i'll end this first yeah i'm sorry for this all
2: right see you see you
0: so what's the hardest decisions the organization had to make recently yeah
1: the hardest decision mm-hmm. i mean dng is new mm-hmm. uh i think uh most of the decisions that were probably uh, hard to make were mainly on the internal part. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously those things can't be discussed here. Uh, yeah, but I'm pretty sure in the future when once DNG has had a little more standing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we'll have to come across um, you know, situations where we'll probably have to prioritize uh, refugee healthcare over um, other things that may, intr- that may intrude with running an NGO. Um, but until then, uh, you know.
2: I'm sorry, my internet got cut off.
0: I think her internet had problem. <laughs> See erisa Oh,
2: okay. Where were we?
0: Oh, did you catch what I said? Yes, but just you know, at the end it suddenly cut off. Yeah, oh even
2: I um, didn't hear the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I think oh. relatively what I was just trying to say is Genji is relatively new. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um so um a lot of the I think it just founded are... this year, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Generally, so, a lot of yeah. the issues that we may come across mm-hmm. um, are mostly internal, you know, and that's very mm-hmm. common for any uh, NGO. Uh, we're just trying to figure out our footing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm.
0: So where, where is the refugee, you know, where, where they are come from, you know, yeah, I'm curious about the, the refugee. Where do they come from?
1: The refugees that we primarily work with mm-hmm. come from Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're Rohingyans and Myanmar Muslims.
0: Yeah. So how big is the community?
1: The community that we work with um, right now, we're uh-huh. working with uh, a number of at least 80 women, um, 80. but we don't work with them, yeah, eight zero, but we don't work with them all together because, um, so the 80 women are, are where, where we identify per community. So the community that we work with now specifically have 80 different uh, families with women in them or like, uh, you know, mothers um mm. as as someone in their family. Uh, so but we do have other refugees coming in from neighboring communities, even coming all the way from Ampang, uh, mm. coming for our sessions. So Word does um travel fast. That's number one. Um, so we don't right now we're just trying to uh catch up with uh our mm. database, make sure everything is updated so that moving forward we have a record of everything and everyone we've
0: um, treated. Oh, I see. So can you share with us like one or two stories of individuals, you know, whose lives have been changed you know, because of your organization and the work you have done so far?
1: Um, yeah, sure. I think we have, we've had a, we've had a patient, her name is, yeah, so we've had a patient and she was identified as someone who was very high risk. Um, uh, and she was um, due to give birth. And there were mm. um, a lot of complications. Um, so doctors from um, DNG mm. um, had to uh, secure her a place in a hospital so that she gets admitted, so that someone works with her on her issue, so that financial and logistical issues are settled. Um, and that's what we had to do. We had to make sure everything on the back end ran mm. smoothly, for mm. her to uh, calmly get her uh, treatment and her baby out. Uh, so that was one thing that we I um that we feel like um you know really uh really established dng it was mm. one of our success stories. Another success story that is uh, coming like that is currently ongoing is a, a, a patient that has been um identified with cancer um mm. and uh, dng has referred her to our you know, internal doctors to other doctors to take a look at her. Um, mm. uh, basically, she needs that support and, and she needs to know that there's an entire NGO that's working with her.
0: Mm. So from the work that I'm curious, from the work that you have done, right, like Dr. Sazana and Orisa, so what are the lessons, you know, or insight you gain from them? While you're doing you know your your contributions
2: so um what do i gain from them mm-hmm. uh basically we do know that there are more people out there who really needs i'm not saying uh, advanced mm-hmm. healthcare i'm talking about basic healthcare So we do know there are so many of them out there who really, really need basic health care and just not about uh, getting their medication and also getting their treatment. It's uh, basic such as uh, health education. Health education. Without... Mm, without proper health education you won't be able to understand yourself you won't be mm-hmm. able to understand your body you won't be able to get treatment you won't know what you need you won't know what you have to do so I think the greatest um, feeling I feel when I go on ground compared mm-hmm. to when I'm in the hospital, hospital. in the hospital you see you see patients who practically know why are they there what they mm-hmm. need they even can tell you what they want and what they, what they supposed to get, what mm. they supposed. You know, they can tell you the whole plan without you telling <laughs> them anything. But uh, going back to the community is different. It's it's all you. It's like baby steps. So you're like uh, teaching from from A to Z, and you're always stuck at ABC. You never progress to DEF. So that's the problem, and that's the thing that I learned. I feel that they need mm-hmm. more attention, mm-hmm. they need more, uh, you know, health education, they need more exposure, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things that they actually need, that we actually have the services, but they don't know how to get it, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's the thing that I feel that it's a, it's a, big, it's a big gap, it's a big difference. Big and, difference. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: So how about you, Arisa?
1: Like my personal, um, my personal journey with uh, mm-hmm. refugees it, mm-hmm. it started with medical. You know, even though like my first on ground event as a volunteer, mm-hmm. um, with MRA, if I'm not mistaken, was a medical case that I had to that I was flung at. I had to deal with um, a baby who was born at home mm-hmm. who had um you know cases of blood poisoning and you know a mother and father who were clearly very young and not equipped to um, run a family who did not have the financial means to run a family mm-hmm. so all of these things I, I uh, recognized very early on you know um, it was just um, being able to slowly learn how I as an individual can come in so with um, my previous work at WFR, I was able mm-hmm. to understand more uh, in depth about how to uh, come in as a uh, as an NGO to help refugees. And with that foundation, um, and with Dr. Shazana and her medical mm-hmm. team,
2: um,
1: I think that that's that's uh, it's basically coming true. Now, but it, um, what I've identified early on is now slowly um, being addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, I think just on just some personal satisfaction, it's just, it's good to see um, the work being put in, yeah.
0: And the work you put in, you know, they benefit from that. I think this is the best part, right? Mm.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think even um, with a lot of the refugee communities that Mm -hmm. I visited, whether in WFR, DNG, or uh, any personal capacity, um, medical aid has always been something... I think
2: Arisa's voice is a bit too slow
1: hello can you hear me
0: yes i can okay sorry
1: yes i uh, um mm. so yeah i said um so uh, in any capacity that i've worked with so in any refugee community that i've worked with i you know I've, i i've I, i've noticed that um that medical access medical uh, needs is something that refugees they recognize it as something mm. that is a privilege they recognize it as something that is a um like a very key element, you know. So that's why whenever an NGO offers medical services, you know, or um medical aid, um they will scramble to it because they understand how financially um how financially uh, hard it is f- uh for them to secure financial mm-hmm. uh for them to secure medical medical uh, services and, mm-hmm. and good mm-hmm. healthcare. You know, especially as a refugee, mm. um, so we're basically we see that as a demand, and we're providing that uh, in that in that same context.
2: Mm.
0: So, do you think, in your opinion, so what are the factor? you know, behind this, like they, they don't have the medical, uh, assess and what is the factor behind it in your opinion? I think it's fairly, um, it's fairly simple. It's simply because of financial, legal mm, they're legal. They're, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah. So their legal status. So, um, because mm-hmm. they are not recognized as a refugee, Public sectors like hospitals, mm-hmm. public sectors like clinics, they do not, they can't work within a framework, um, you know. So a lot of the times, hospitals don't know how to deal or how to have the security when they deal with refugees, because mm-hmm. the only body that is dealing with refugees is the UNHCR, you know. So mm-hmm. if they're not registered with the UNHCR, then they are not registered at all, you know. And and it's it's often very conflicting for for doctors to. Um, you know, have to think about the financial logistics. When um, truthfully, that's not fair. You know, they're there to um, um, aid and um, treat patients, um, and and because of this legal complication, mm-hmm. they're thrown in the whole um, in the whole con- conflict of um, whether this person should be treated. You know, there there has even been cases of where mm-hmm. um, specialists would have to. Uh, choose to admit Mm -hmm. patients um, but if that patient cannot pay then the then the financial burden is left on the specialist you know so we have doctors who are overwhelmed um with um the lack of framework the lack of um initiative from the government to implement some sort of legal Mm -hmm. body so that so that their so that their work is is done um much more effectively you know so that um um the operations behind a hospital or behind a clinic is uh, um, there is a flow to it and it, it recognizes refugees mm-hmm. as, as um, a person of need as a person of financial and logistical um uh suffering or disadvantages yeah so i feel like um mm-hmm. uh, i feel like with uh, i feel like with um any issue um pertaining to the refugee it can always be led back to the legal status is the, status. Status, mm. the, the reason why they're financially insta- unsta- uh, ins- unstable, it's the reason why they're economically unstable it's the reason why they can't access jobs can't can't go to school can't build mm. on themselves um, uh, are scared of um, you know, of seeking help or um, securing aid or being independent right, they mm. are always they are caught in a loophole where they are constantly dependent on Organizations like NGOs and um, other other agencies, right? To uh, mm, yeah,
0: but I think it's hard. It's hard for them to break the cycle.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it is hard for them to break the cycle. Um, and realistically, the the whole decision um, to sign the Refugee Convention or to recognize the refugee status is very much political. It does not consider the burden and the overwhelming um, domino effect of yeah. Uh, the hospital of public sectors like the educa- um like um, education like uh, NGOs it doesn't consider that because it is completely political for um the government to recognize the refugee status
2: mm-hmm.
1: to be to be quite frank right the mm-hmm. refugee crisis is uh it's it's a money making it's a cow it's a cow what do you call it the money making machine yeah it's a it's a money cow yeah. Uh, a lot of politicians and uh, organizations um, get in on the trade of um, human trafficking, yeah. of uh, the refugee crisis. There is an entire business that is going underground, and it's why that's why I said it's hundred percent political. If it wasn't political, then there would there would have been um, a rush to you know to get a framework going and we were almost there um, when Mahadeh's party came up because they promised that Mm. they would sign the refugee convention but when you know when politics happen and a new government happened obviously you know um, that that demand is still no more and no no longer realistic Mm.
0: so what do you wish you know to see like what, are, what, what is the impact you want to make like in your future for the refugee in your personal missions? Like what are the impact you wish to make?
1: Um, I think personally um, mm-hmm. I would love to see DNG uh, lead the national campaign, um against you know medical discrimination or um or at least center it um right now the malaysian context is very uh very vague there isn't much research on medical discrimination especially in the context of refugees um and that's because uh, there isn't a specific focus or there isn't prob- there, there probably isn't Um, You know, a realization that there is a connection between discrimination, legal status and refugees. Mm. So um, I think uh, what I would like to see is for DNG to center that as the main focus or as Mm. one of the focuses and lead the national campaign against it and inspire other organizations to Mm. take up that fight, to take up that cause. Um, another thing that I would love to see is for DNG to successfully implement its family planning campaigns, Mm -hmm. its family planning projects, um, according to districts. So for example, um, we're working with Silayang now, I'd love to see, um, you know, statistics and research backed by data that has been collected by dng that proves that family planning programs have increased and have been more engaging in these areas you know and mm. slowly from Slayang it would be really nice to branch out to ampang or to other organized other communities or other districts that are very heavy in refugee populations mm. yeah i think personally that's what i would like to see with dng i'm pretty sure that doesn't it doesn't run far from DNG's um, original objectives as
0: well. Yeah. Mm. So do you think your organization is one of the the, the only organization to do to focus on uh, family planning this this problem? Do you think you are the no. I think you are the only organizations to do this? Uh, as a sure. pioneer. I mean, There's been a a number of NGOs Mm -hmm. that has actually
1: taken this up. Mm -hmm. Um, Like uh, Dr. Shazana said, um, you know, FRAM is one of the leading NGOs. Um, UNHCR has long campaigned for this and all of its medical partners like um, Clinic Amal Muhajir, Um, imaret mercy all of these um, organizations are considered veteran ngos Mm -hmm. have have either engaged participated or pushed for family planning projects Um, so what we're doing specifically on family planning is not um, new and it you know to a point it's we're thankful because we're working within a framework that That other organizations have already done, that other organizations have already identified as successful, as effective. So all we need to do is take that and implement it into our own community. So basically, you know, a lot of those veteran NGOs, we're learning a a, a whole lot from them, you know, and they're very (laughs) open to new NGOs like DNG to come in um to collaborate like
0: collaborate. yeah, yeah. To collaborate.
1: Mm-hmm. so just on so just on family planning we uh we are not the pioneer no but um all 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 DNG is doing in family planning is helping the fight you know where where one soldier where where one more soldier in the battle you know to um to get to that destination where um you know family planning is a thing among refugee populations so that is it's um, the ability to control and secure um, you know, secure uh, secure um, medical threats or other threats or other dangers is, is so much more easier on management side mm.
0: So how about you or Dr. Sazana, your personal visions, uh, uh, you know like what kind of impact you wish to see among the refugees
2: Okay, so um, as for now, as we are focusing in Selayang community, mm-hmm. I always uh, mention, I always mention that um, I don't usually focus on the quantity of patients that I'm seeing; it's about the quality of patient care that we get. So basically, I, for my short-term vision, I would say I would like to know, I would like to make sure that the community that I'm working with, they are all screened for HIV, they're all screened for pap smear, so that we don't see them at the terminal end stage when they are already uh, having advanced cancer. So I would also like to make sure that everyone is fully aware of what family planning is. So it's, it will create a domino effect. So basically, uh, they will spread the words to other community and you know, other community will be able to spread the words to other communities. So somehow, family planning and awareness will be uh, something that they will also speak about rather than other stuff. So yeah, my plan, my 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 uh, aim and my vision will be that for now. Because yeah, once I've um, done with this community in Selayang, as what uh, Miss Arisa was saying, we would also like to branch out to other community. But due to the pandemic, as we know, uh, situations will be a bit slow down. So um, progress wise we will focus on this community first. Yep.
0: Mm, focus on. Mm, okay. So do you have any messages you would love to share with us?
1: Um, I think personally, uh, mm-hmm. I, like I mentioned before, medical discrimination mm-hmm. is a very sensitive and new topic mm. um, you know and e- even the idea of a community doctor is very foreign you know especially um, in the refugee capacity um, so I think if if it were if I were down to my last message I'd, I just want to re- refocus the narrative on that you know on um, if we can invest in that kind of narrative and get more
0: organizations to invest in that i think it would be Mm, um, it'd be good right
1: it'd be good it'd be it'd be easier for medical ngos to manage their populations yeah
0: so do you have any messages you want to share with us dr sasana
2: as for my part i think um being a doctor uh not many doctors uh Involved in community service. They're usually more in the hospital setting. Or yeah, in yeah, private I, I practice see, setting. Yes, I see this, so, you know, they um,
0: are rarely doctors, you, know, you will come to the yeah. refugee and help.
2: Yeah, so from, from my background, from mm-hmm. my alumni, so I would, like, I would like to see more of uh, my colleagues. Coming on ground, uh, even even if it's once a year, at least it's something, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I'm I'm having like so many uh, medical doctors uh, working working with me. I know mm-hmm. that they I know they won't be able to come all the time. It's okay. It's okay not to be able to come all the time. But if you are able to come once in one year, if I have three hundred doctors working for me, I'll have every day one doctor coming to the ground. Mm, that's so <laughs> that would be what I would like to achieve. So uh, so if I get as many doctors to volunteer with me and uh, we do it together, it's, it's an easy thing. It's just to educate, education is free. So mm. if they can come, they can work with me and we can provide services. The more doctors I have, the program will be run smoothly. As we, um, other NGOs like Freha, Firham, uh, Imaret Clinic and uh, a few other clinics they are also facing the same problem where they have lack of doctors volunteering for them. Mm. They have to go out and find for doctors. When I go for talks, the same topics will come again and again. It's like, hey, do you have any friends who wants to volunteer <laughs> with us? Hey, do you have any? So I tell them it's a bit difficult because most of doctors they are in the government sector where they work eight to five. Sometimes their work are stretched to the next day, five o'clock. So they come in mm. eight o'clock in the morning, they go back at five PM. It's impossible to get them to come and work on a days at the clinic so yeah so that is a major um lack of uh you know we we don't have much volunteers for doctors Met, but now menpower, since we right? started mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, true. Uh, Now, since we started DNG, I've I've seen like uh, a week or two weeks once there will be a doctor approaching me like, hey, I want to help. How can I help? So this is something good. Also, we are not just educating the refugees. We are also educating the doctors that this is something you should do and this is important. So come and work with us. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it works uh, very well. I mean, we give the community and also we create awareness among doctors to help.
0: So can I mean, a, yeah, mm, we do yeah. have
2: a I mean yeah we do we do work and help at the hospital mm-hmm. if that's what they are thinking helping means but this is just you know one once a week one sunday in a month kind of thing you just go and you feel good doing it so yeah mm. so, that's about it.
0: Mm-hmm. so can a non medical like persons join your team <laughs> I'm curious Sorry sorry oh. again Yes can a non medical uh, background persons or students or uh, individuals join your team like you know
1: yeah that yes. where they can oh,
0: help
2: actually, mm-hmm. okay uh so now we know uh creating awareness is not just doctors uh, talking mm-hmm. on ground we also need uh, the media to support us. So people like you, Amber, to, you know, put the work out there. So yeah. you're you actually kind of volunteering too, in a way, you know. <laughs> so uh, people like, uh, yeah, yeah, people like you, people like um, Arisa, who's mm-hmm. so very, uh, you know, passionate about helping the refugees. So, yeah. So if we have uh, people to work on the media aspect, to work on the framework, to work on the uh, whole administration of the NGO is also part of volunteering. You make the work go easier. You make it more smooth. Mm-hmm. You give small, small, uh, you know, responsibilities to other volunteers so that you handle the the major stuff so it runs smoothly. So anyone doesn't matter if you have medical or non-medical background. If you are, if you want to help, there will be something for you to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: yeah. So I have a lot last questions for you, Dr. Sazana. So what's the most important thing I can learn about you? Because uh, yesterday, I already asked Arisa about this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, what, what is the important thing that you will learn from me? Yes,
0: I can learn about you.
2: Oh, about me? Yes. Oh, how do I answer this? What do you want to learn about me? Hmm.
1: That was the same reaction that we had. How do you answer that question? Okay,
2: so uh, I don't know. Maybe I should ask you that question, Amber. What do you learn by all that I've said? (laughs) Questions that I've answered. What What do you What do you What is your impression about me? Basically, your impression about me means something that you learn about me. So yeah, so the question goes back to you,
0: Amber. But I think for my okay, impression, I think you are pretty serious, you know, for me. I think because of your professions, I think mm. this is one of the impressions that you gave me. And and the other thing is you, you are kind. You're very kind, I think. Okay.
2: So that is something I would like people to learn. So be kind <laughs> and be uh, helpful and work out there without expecting anything else in return. Mm. So, when you be kind, I, I, have, that, I have this belief. I mean, you, mm. if, you, if you love someone, you expect them to love you back, right? Mm. If you give someone money, you expect them to <clears throat> return <clears throat> the money back to you. But if you help others, you really don't expect anything from them. It's just mm. something that you're, you genuinely want to do. Mm. And um, <clears throat> something that you don't uh, expect in return... Is something that you do from heart so that is something very uh, satisfying so yeah mm. it's, it's, if you if you start doing it you feel good about it and and god have uh, many other ways to you know uh, give you back things in return mm, that's so, true yeah so mm. yeah
0: so maybe that's <laughs> why
2: um you can learn or you you already learn you're doing a good <laughs> job by doing this you know so
0: <laughs> maybe you know
2: put out there yeah
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. So, well, I think it's time to, um, sorry, I, time to wrap up this show. So, um, time, yeah. So I think, well, I think it's time to wrap up this show. So thank you for our lovely guests, two amazing lady, Dr. Sazana and Arisa, you know, for sharing with us and joining to share about their experience and their work with us. So thank you so much. So.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, so I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, digest all the things that you share with me so yeah I can write my insight you know and post this on my social media and share your work to our audience so thank you so much so join us next week on Impact Valley so thank you for for sharing with us and being with us today so yeah so I hope you have a great day okay
2: Okay, bye-bye, Amber. Thank
0: you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Amber. Bye.